1: A pretty cold good morning to everybody. I'm so, so disappointed. I was loving the spring air, and now it's winter again. Faggy, what did you do?
2: <laughs> this happens every year, Adol. We fool ourselves. We absolutely fool ourselves thinking that, that summer's coming.
1: <laughs> um, you, know when, you know when you get fooled? It's You go to the shops, you buy something nice and new for Rosh Hashanah, And you want to wear it because you want to feel all summery and then it's freezing cold and you have to revert to your old winter clothes. That's what happens. Absolutely.
2: And we all walk around in t-shirts and all excited. Summer's coming and then bam, winter comes again.
1: (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Well, welcome to another, another healthy you, wealthy you show. Today, we have our favorite, Dr. Jack kussel, a well-known well, well known personality in the South African community, a man who's got more than 60 years of medical experience under his belt, particularly with children, a well-loved pediatrician. And we are going to discuss the important subject of emergencies at, in the home. Now, I know for myself, and I'm sure, Fagy, you probably will agree, you know, you think we, 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 we Jewish women are control freaks, right? Absolutely. have got like I've got probably an entire discim, um, in my house and I try <laughs> as much as possible to avert the emergencies. But when the emergency hits, you, you, you go, you get into a space where you're not sure what to do. You're not sure what is right and wrong. And today we're here to understand what it is that we need to do when we are faced with this emergency, when we need to really, really be worried and with other times just maybe, you know, put on a little bit of band-aid. Give a kiss and say, you know what, little darling, when you walk down to the chuppah, you're going to forget all about this.
2: You know, just not, not long ago, my my baby fell. My, my nanny calls and says the baby fell really badly on her head. The first person I called is Dr. Cussell, and he just calmed me down, <laughs> gave me the instructions that I needed, and everything was fine. So definitely looking forward to Dr. Cussell's advice today.
1: Good, so if you would like to uh, join in the conversation, 34519 is our SMS number, 61 our telegram number. Before we get stuck into the topic, a reminder that Faggy and I run a WhatsApp group. Uh, we just like to motivate each other and just read interesting things where we can take health into our own hands and do things. Food is your medicine There is so much that we can do that allows us to be healthier without, you know, landing up in emergency. If you'd like to join that, then send an email to um, info at highfm.com. Give us your name. Give us your cell number and give us, uh, 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 obviously, you've got to be on WhatsApp, and we will be informed and we will gladly, gladly add you on.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kasulski and Feige Stern.
1: And now we're going to speak to a doctor who cares. Good morning, Dr. Kassel. Morning, morning to all of
3: you. Morning. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Dr. Kasul.
1: Well, we said we're going to discuss how to calm down the Jewish mother when there is an emergency in the home. So I'm giving the floor to you and allow you to perhaps give us an introduction and then we'll go through the different scenarios that we could God forbid face.
3: Well, I'll start off with my introduction in the same way as I'm going to end my program with this quotation from Kipling. If you can keep your head while all those around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you will succeed. The (laughs) key to the introduction. the, The key to the introduction is don't panic. There is absolutely nothing that you can't do at home, and in the challenging times in which we live, the subject this subject becomes even more relevant. One cannot deny that the optimum is always to either access an emergency room, a general practitioner, a specialist, Hatsola, or anyone that you can get hold of. But as we know now with the COVID pandemic, medical practitioners are stretched to the limit. Medical services are being completely overwhelmed. Hospitals and emergency rooms are under stress and therefore this presentation that Adel and Fage and I decided to do becomes even more of a necessity. How you react to an emergency situation can often prevent serious injury and even permanent injury and sometimes even make the difference between life and death. It's a vast subject that I'm attempting to handle and therefore I will have to split the talk into two sessions. I'm going to split today, I'm going to do today's talk focusing on emergencies related to the nervous system under the headings of head injury, breath holding and convulsions and anything that you might have that worries you. The subsequent talk will be on re- conditions related to the respiratory system dealing with emergencies related to lungs, uh, drowning, and poisonings. Let us start first with a head injury, probably one of the most common medical emergencies in a child under the age of three years. This is the accidental fall with a child landing on its head, And it's every parent's nightmare, because within a few minutes, a swelling starts to appear at the site of injury, and this rapidly increases in size. You need to understand the structure of the scalp in order to know how to deal with this and its relevance. There are five layers of scalp tissue that cover the skull bone. They are best remembered by the mnemonic scalp. The S stands for skin, the outer layer. The C stands for connective tissue. The A stands for aponeurosis. The L stands for loose connective tissue. And the P stands for periosteum, the very tight layer of tissue that covers the skull bone. Now, all these five layers have a very rich blood and nerve supply. And when injury occurs, the vessels in the outer layers of the scalp will be or can be ruptured and they start to bleed. If the skull bone remains intact, the blood will accumulate in the outer layers of the scalp and start to form a swelling. This swelling is known by the medical term kephel hematoma. On the other hand, if the skull bone fractures, the bleed will find its way into the brain itself. And this is a far more serious situation. So what can we deduce from what I've just told you? An injury producing a pure swelling, which rapidly extends, usually reaches its peak within five or ten minutes. And this usually denotes the absence of internal bleeding. And with a simple cuddle, To relax the child, it will very soon settle down and become its normal self. Measures such as ice packs, cold compressions, and whatever you may think of to compress it may make some slight difference, but they're not really indicated. In over 95% of these situations, the lump will resolve in 6 to 12 weeks, become hardened and cause no further problems. So where do the problems occur? They occur where the lump may be minimal or not be present at all, indicating that the bleeding might be present internally. But usually this is a very distressed child and as pressure begins to build up on the brain, this becomes a very recognisable sign even for yourselves at home. The cry of the baby becomes high-pitched, and inevitably with increased cerebral pressure, the child will start to vomit. These are symptoms which should alert you immediately. Bear in mind that this pressure build-up usually manifests within the first 6 to 24 hours, not immediate, but can also take up to 3 to 5 days to develop fully. The position of injury is also important because the major cerebral vessels are situated at the lateral ends of the forehead, known as the temple bone, under the temple bone. That is the middle cerebral artery. And the other major vessel in the skull is situated at the base of the brain, which is known as the basal artery. So that position of the injury may also alert you to potential trouble. But what it is important to understand is that in the great majority, I have never seen a potentially fatal injury developing at birth, never in my 60 years of experience. You've always got time to deal with it. And when 95% of them resolve spontaneously and cause no trouble at all, all you've got to deal with in the end is accepting the lump that occurs and the lump that will go away. That's
1: so, Doctor, if I can just stop you there and just do a a, uh, a revision. You're basically saying when your kid hits hits their head and you see that bump and it's turning all different colors, it's actually a good sign because it's on the outside, not the inside. It's when you don't see the bump that you need to be a little bit more wary. Is that correct?
3: That's absolutely correct. The bump, strangely enough, is always a very welcome sign. Okay. If you don't see the bump, it's not necessarily a bad sign, but it's a bad sign where you have a very distressed child or where the injury has been extensive, a child dropping from a great height and obviously hitting its head very severely. This indicates that the skull bone may be fractured. And if the skull bone... Is fractured, the bleed will occur internally rather than on the scalp tissues, and therefore, that's it's for that you have to watch out.
2: Isn't it sometimes wish- that there's like a delayed response that it could happen a day later or many hours later that there's more of a reaction?
3: Well, the ooze is usually gradual in cerebral bleeding, it's seldom an acute. Injury, unless it's uh, a car accident or something like that where there may be extensive injury. But usually from a simple fall, the ooze use, the use will be gradual and you will certainly have time. The important thing to remember is that you, you must use that time sensibly. The first six hours is the danger time. If you get through the first six hours and up to 24 hours, you're usually out of trouble. But there have been cases reported where cases are presented with cerebral hemorrhage on the second, third, or even up to the seventh day. So you can't poo-poo the thing altogether. But the important thing to remember is do not go, certainly in times that we're facing at the moment, Do not go rushing to emergency rooms for MRI scans and for all sorts of specialist investigations when 95% and probably even more than that of your bumps on the head are completely benign. Rather sit back and watch it for a few hours and just observe the child carefully. That would be my advice. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with
0: Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern.
1: We're in conversation with Dr. Kassel. We are talking about uh, injuries to the head. Gosh, Dr. Kassel, I could have called you about three times last week. I had one... Um, nine-month-old grandchild that decided that he should be an Olympic gymnast and threw himself out of his high chair. And another one went smashing through a a, a door that they didn't see. And they didn't call Dr. Castle. They called me, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. So now thank you. I think that we're a – well, I'm certainly a little bit more uh, (laughs) informed. (laughs) Yes. Where are we going to take it from there?
3: The most important thing in this – to conclude this part of the presentation is maintaining Sholem Bight and not playing the blame game. It's, it's something that we all tend to do and all guilty of doing. It is nobody's fault. It is simply an act that Hashem has precipitated. And maybe it's a test of your resolve as partners in the marriage mm-hmm. to overcome this with a smile. <laughs> but also to,
1: you should know that you don't the, put a nine-month-old crawling baby on, 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 on a bed to go to sleep.
3: <laughs> that's right. The way to overcome it is simply to say, as as you start off without showing the partner, whether it's the husband or the wife who's committed, the allowed it to happen, let me tell you, our little one has had a slight accident, but I've consulted advice, and it's not going to do any harm, and come, let's have a little look at the baby, our bundle of joy. That's the way, <laughs> that's the way you approach it, and not any other way, because otherwise they won't be shot by it.
1: There will be a, but a few more head injuries, but adult ones are <laughs>
3: Exactly. <laughs> and you know, as genetically, Jews are quite panicky. So don't panic.
1: Okay. Where are we going to take it from, from, from
3: here? I'm, I'm going to go on now. If, if there's nothing else you want to ask, we can leave that to the end of the program. If any of the listeners have questions that they'd like to ask, but I think I've covered it rather extensively. So we can move on to the breath holding attack. And yes. Up- Another frightening and distressing episode in a pediatric medical emergency, especially when these attacks start to become repetitive. Again, there is a need, a a deep need to understand the mechanism of why and how this occurs. First of all, how it occurs. We all have two distinct nervous systems in all our bodies. The one nervous system is the sympathetic nervous system which prepares the body for fight or flight. The second nervous system is the parasympathetic nervous system which prepares the body for rest, relaxation or sleep. And one of the governing nerves in the parasympathetic nervous system is the vagus nerve in the neck which has several branches. This vagus is a very, very important nerve because when stimulated, and amongst the many things that it can do, it can cause slowing of the respiration, slowing of the pulse, and even cessation of the respiration temporarily. And this is the breath-holding attack. That's the mechanism of the breath-holding attack. Stimulation of the vagus nerve. Now how does the infant or child learn to do this or do this? Crying will produce stimulation of this vagus nerve. <clears throat> and as the child holds its breath and cries and goes on crying and go on crying, the stimula- the vagus nerve becomes dominant and it won't let go it will eventually cause the child to stop with its breathing and even in extreme cases it will pass out now the child usually learns to do this by crying and in so doing hold its breath but when it becomes adept at this, it can even do it without crying the respiration can slow, can just hold its breath, stimulate the vagus And eventually pass out and become unconscious. The re-stimulation of the breathing will always occur. I've never in my 60 years of medicine ever seen a breath holding attack cause fatalities. The re-stimulation of the breathing is the result of the accumulation of carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide retention which which when it occurs eventually fires off the respiratory center and causes the child to breathe again for this we can deduce that the breath holding attack is a mechanism that the child may learn to employ for gratification that's the that's the uh mild way of putting it the severe way of putting it is So some psychologists say it is using a stick to hit the mother or father, punishing the mother and father, where it knows that the mother and father will become exasperated or agitated by it. And this, of course, that type of parent further emphasizes this to the baby by as he or she sees the baby starting to cry, she starts shouting, breathe, breathe blows on the baby, throws him into the air, snaps him on his back or her back and turns him upside down. It reinforces the child's belief that their breath-holding will give them the attention they desire. You must never do that, never, ever do that, and you won't believe what I'm telling you now. But in my 60 years of paediatrics, I personally have never seen a child pass out in my consulting rooms. I've seen children cry, I've walked away from them, I've come back, I've found them completely normal. The moment you adopt measures which make the child aware that you are aware and frightened by what the child is doing, the child will go the full hulk. You've also got to bear in mind that it's shown that iron deficiency in a baby makes it more susceptible to be able to hold its breath and stimulate the vagus and therefore in every breath holder it's a golden rule to either test the blood for iron deficiency or else put them onto iron very often this will limit the amount of breath holding attacks it's it's very rare that mouth to mouth breathing is necessary in fact it's totally unnecessary as the simple accumulation of carbon dioxide will fire the respiratory centre into action and while, while mouth-to-mouth resuscitation will on the other hand increase oxygen levels in the baby and stop the respiratory centre from taking over. The person who has to witness the breath-holding attack will always be perturbed about epilepsy and further investigation. I never do this because the incidence of epilepsy in breath holders is less than 5%. It is very, very rare. Breath holding is going to disappear by the age of three to four years of age and it will disappear even quicker if mommy or daddy remains calm when this occurs. The incident, uh, the key word again, is if you can hold your head while others are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and don't panic, you'll succeed. It applies here as well. Hold I, your I head.
1: have, I have two questions for you. Um, the first one is, like sometimes, you, you see, and it applies back to the fall. The child will fall probably most times on their back and their breath gets knocked out. It's the same thing. You just... You know, you see the child's eyes roll back, and then they, it looks as if they lose conscience. And then you do—you you go into panic road, You pick up the kid, you shake the heck out of them, you stop yelling at them. Should you just leave them and like give it how long for the for you know for the, the the system to kick back into place? That's question one.
3: Question one is you, you can you can give it two or three minutes of crying. Don't. No,
1: if they're not crying, if they're not crying, you know, something like it happened to me when I was a mother, I was changing my son, his nappy, and he like tried to flip over. So I flipped him back. And when I flipped him back, he obviously, uh, you know, got his wind knocked out of him. He passed out. His eyes rolled back. Um, and good old me being the panic mother. I lifted it up. I just had a limp child. I remember running out of the apartment, running up three flights of stairs because there was a doctor there. And by the time I banged on the door for the doctor to open up, he opened up and I looked at my kid. He was like 100% fine saying, you what happened here? What's going on? I looked like such an idiot.
3: Well, you're not, you're not alone because I'll tell you the story here if I can interlude for a minute. A very prominent pediatrician in this town who is since Alba so he can't recognize it in any case. But when I was a registrar at the Children's Hospital, which was about 40 or 50 years ago, we got an urgent call in casualty to prepare the resuscitative equipment and everything we could because this prominent pediatrician's grandchild was uh, not breathing, was unconscious, and needed emergency care. And sure enough, within five or ten minutes, we heard sirens, and they arrived with a police escort, ambulances, and everything else. And as they unwrapped the baby, from these multiple blankets that he was wrapped in, the kid sat up and laughed at everybody, to the great embarrassment of the pediatrician. So that perhaps that's the answer to your question. Don't show any recognition and don't panic. If you have a known breath holder... Obviously, if the child is not a known breath holder and this suddenly happens, it may be more serious. You know, if a child falls and doesn't resuscitate, uh, again, you've got time with the infant brain. The infant brain can sustain oxygen. The adult brain can sustain oxygen deprivation for about three or four minutes and the brain dies and never recovers. But the infant brain can sustain oxygen deprivation for up to a quarter of an hour, even 20 minutes, and still recover completely. Us who are pediatricians and have dealt with newborns know this only too well. Where a newborn baby has been born, declared dead, put into a bucket somewhere to, to await the burial people, and all of a sudden, after 15 or 20 minutes, you suddenly hear a cry, this has happened. So the answer to your question is don't panic. You've got three or four minutes up to five minutes. And if things haven't happened by then, then apply your resuscitative measures such as mouth to mouth and the things that you can do until help comes. I hope that answers your question.
1: Absolutely. And then, and then just the second question that I had, so sometimes you see the, the the child gets a fright or I don't know something hit them and they start crying and then they 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 just stop the the, the crying stops and you can see they're holding their breath and you know they they're looking at you and you, you also again you should just you should just hold them and just wait for them to eventually allow the system
3: again to to hold kick in and
1: for them to catch their hold breath.
3: Cuddle them, give them a kiss, give them a hug don't show any recognition or any fear it's showing fear you can use the analogy the same analogy of walking into a house when you do a house visit and there on the top of the stairs is show, is stands a Rottweiler or an Alsatian if you continue to walk towards the Rottweiler or the Alsatian the chances are that he'll give you a few sniffs or a few licks and walk away from you If you start to run, he's going to chase you and he's going to bite you. The the, the baby is very intuitive. He picks up the vibes from you and he knows exactly what he has to do when he has to do it. And this is why breath-holding becomes a mechanism of gratification to the baby. You must never show him that you are cognizant of the fact of what he's doing. Never do that. You can hug him, you can kiss him, you can whisper sweet words to him, but don't start stimulating him or shouting, breathe, breathe. Don't ever do that.
1: Uh
2: When when it comes to a baby um, or a child hitting themselves on their head, what is the story with them falling asleep after?
3: Well, anybody sleeps after, but again... You know, even as a layman, you can recognize cerebral signs. Obviously, you can't do a full nervous system examination and start studying the, uh, the pupils and the reflexes and all that. But there are very definite signs of pressure building up in the head. There's a, rec- there's a record available at exclusive books which is called The Cry of the Baby. There are at least... Twenty different baby cries on that record, and one of the baby cries is the cry of increased cerebral pressure, where you have to be very, very careful. Head injury. That is a shrill cry. It's not a normal cry. It's a shriek. The the, the child's obviously distressed, and as pressure begins to build up in the head the centres at the base of the brain become stimulated and the first centre to become stimulated is the vomiting centre and that is why very often with a child with serious head injury vomiting is the first sign that something untoward is likely to occur or that the baby has been concussed. In the absence of vomiting you're probably quite safe at staying at home and in the absence of a shrill cry you're certainly safe in staying at home. So if the baby falls asleep, let the baby sleep. There's no problem.
1: Come on out there. Not only Fadi and I are neurotic mothers or grandmothers. Do you have any questions for Dr. Castle You can SMS us on 34519 or oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine. This is Chai FM.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Edel Kasilski and Fagy Stern.
1: We're in conversation with Dr. Kassel talking about emergencies in the home. Dr. Kassel, I guess everything you're saying now about our kids would also apply to adults. Is that correct?
3: It does apply to adults, except that strangely enough, with severe head injuries, you have less time with an adult. Because they, they can move fairly quickly. <clears throat> and, uh, you've got to act fairly quickly. But if you simply, you know, it, people say to you, why did you become a pediatrician? It's so difficult. You can't speak to your patients or you can't get a history from them. It makes it even easier because you, 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 the, the child, the infant never lies to you. It never, it never exaggerates symptoms. It It's, it's there as it is. That's how mm. it presents itself. An adult is far more complex, and we've often got to sift your way between fact and fiction. A child never, as long as you're a good observer, you'll be a good pediatrician. And the last thing about uh, <coughs> uh, about talking about the baby that that has a head injury is to, is to say that you, you've got time with all these things. A baby starts to exhibit symptoms far slower than an adult. An adult is rapid. An adult can have cessation of breathing for four minutes and it's technically dead. A baby can have cessation of breathing for 20 minutes and can be completely resuscitated. It's a different ball game altogether. A baby has a mobile skull bone. The sutures are not fused. An adult has a rigid skull which can't take pressure. So the, 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 the situation is completely different, but it does apply to adults as well. I mean, if an adult has a severe head injury, what will the first signs be? There will be signs of raised intracranial pressure. The person will develop vomiting, will develop uh, alteration of its pulse and respiration, and you'll begin to see signs of pressure build up in the head. The baby's exactly the same, but he yeah. has far more leeway.
1: Okay. It's very clear now. I'm I'm really appreciative of that. Geez, I wish I knew that 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well,
3: if, if only people would know that. There would be less calls to Atsala. There would be certainly less rushes to the emergency rooms. Because by the time you get to the emergency room, it's, it's probably too late. The baby is normal again.
2: Well, majority yeah. of the time, it's the fear that takes over. You know, we don't have the knowledge, then we just panic. But if we actually have the knowledge, then we don't panic.
3: Well, that's why I must say it again. If you can keep your head while all those around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you will succeed. Don't panic.
1: <laughs> okay, good. What else do we have? What other um, emergencies the, do you want one to discuss? I want
3: to conclude with, because we, we're, we're running out of time, and I think mm. we should do this in two or three programs. The one I want to conclude with is the child with convulsions. Yes. Another desperate emergency as far as the parent is concerned. And as I've explained in a previous radio program, well over 90 to 95% of paroxysmal convulsing children are usually under three years of age. The convulsion is very characteristic. It usually lasts for not longer than five, three to four minutes. The convulsions usually occur when you precipitate them yourself with marked fluctuations of temperature. You know, if you if you get a child with a temperature of 40 or 45, 41, and you suddenly throw the child into a cold bath to bring the temperature down to 36, you take the child out of that cold bath, it'll start to shiver, it'll start to shake, it'll go blue, and it'll start. And in many cases, it will start to fit. Never produce marked fluctuations of temperature at any time. This is opposed to the epileptic or infective convulsions. The epileptic convulsion usually occurs at a much later stage, later than three years, and is usually apyrexial, but needn't necessarily be so. The infective convulsion is a very, very seriously ill child with meningitis. The epileptic convulsion, in addition, is very uncommon under three years of age. It usually comes out of the blue and is usually apyrexial and it's usually after three years of age. So what do we deduce from all this? We deduce that convulsions in a child under three years of age are far less serious. Fever is always a welcome sign. It signifies, strangely enough, that the immune system is functioning well and that antibodies are being produced to counter whatever infection the child may have. And some viral infections may even have fevers lasting five to seven days, and the fever will only come down in step-ladder fashion. So the basic principle of this presentation is to realize the real meaning of fever. The normal temperature in a child is 35 to 30, 37 degrees, depending on whether you take the temperature orally or rectally under the arm. Rectal temperature is nearly always a degree higher. If the temperature is 37 to 38.5 degrees, the only precaution is to undress the child, keep the child as uh, lightly dressed as possible without extreme measures, and above all, keep the child well hydrated the well-hydrated child will find it difficult to have a fever convulsion. If the temperature rises from 38.5 to 41 degrees Celsius, the same principle applies. Except here you may introduce your antipyretics, such as Pernado, Kelpul, Ponstan, Urofen, whatever you can think of. But never ever exceed dosages or use multiple antipyretics. And never give the antipyretics more frequently than four to six hours. To remember, what you've got to remember from this is do not break the temperature, control the temperature gradually. Breaking the temperature with multiple antipyretics, ice packs or cold baths will lead to a precipitous fall in the temperature. And as soon as these measures are discontinued, The temperature will then suddenly rise again and this is what precipitates the convulsion. The child will start to shiver, the extremities will turn blue and convulsions will occur. The pyrexial convulsion, however, becomes more significant when it is associated with two main conditions. The one is dysentery, which usually indicates severe bacterial infection of the bowel requiring urgent intervention it is also more significant if it is long lasting and recurrent at the same and is accompanied by a flaccid ill and pale child this is particularly true of septicemia and meningitis a flaccid pale child both of which require urgent attention I will continue for today with the following statement in all three situations discussed if you can keep your head while all those are losing theirs and blaming it on you 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 will inevitably succeed the key phrase is do not panic all these very severe conditions in pediatrics can all be treated at home they don't require emergency rooms, especially in these dangerous times in which we live, and they certainly don't require hospital admissions. So I hope I've clarified the situation a little for you. I'm sorry we're running out of time a little bit, but I'll leave the last five minutes just for your questions or the wrap up.
1: Well, you've heard it, particularly the mummies out there, but absolutely everybody. Don't panic. You've just been given incredible information. If you do still have any questions, we've got a couple of minutes. We'll be back shortly.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagie Stern.
1: Well, for once, I think that Dr. Kassel, you've answered all the questions and everybody is mute, which is a good sign and something that we all should just take to heart to stay, you know, calm in emergencies and You know, it's not always what you think it is and you can, you can really, really, really help yourself as you can in all different uh, areas of your health. So we thank you very much for your incredible knowledge and your enlightening talk. And definitely we'll be back looking at other, other injuries and other emergencies that can happen in the home. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure doing it for all of you.
1: Thank you again, Dr. Castle, for everything. A reminder to our listeners that if you'd like to join the Healthy You, Wealthy You uh, WhatsApp group, you can send an an email to info at chaifm.com with your name and your number. Of course, you've got to have WhatsApp, and we will gladly add you on. We drop just a little empowering, positive thought about something you can personally do in your life to change your life and live more healthily. Till next week. Stay safe, stay sane, and remember what Dr. Cussell said, stay calm.